welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. So this camp was a uh, junior high, and it was all video game based. And I, yeah, I see head shaking. Um, that's what they're into, right? We bring the word to what they're into, and the girls and the guys. And part of the nerddom that I got to share in was: Have you heard of the Marvel universe? If you haven't. I think it's bigger than Star Wars because there's a couple dozen movies, there's a handful of TV series, and they all are in the same world, same characters, same universe, same stories going on, and they're still making TV shows and movies, and it's been going on for 15 years already. Uh, it's quite amazing. And one of them, the big crescendo of one of the big storylines is when the bad guy, his name is Thanos, has seemingly won. And he's standing behind, uh, or there's people standing behind him. That's Thanos in the corner, and that's his giant army and spaceships. They're from another time and dimension and space. And over here stands Captain America, the lone Avenger left in the moment. And he's been knocked down, and he does what he does. He gets up, barely, and he says, I can do this all day. And then as he gets ready to put up his fists and try to fight, all of a sudden, he hears the chatter of people's voices he hadn't heard for five years, and you'd have to watch the movie to understand why, but suddenly behind him emerges from out of nowhere thousands of the good guys. And then he says that famous line, Avengers, assemble. And then you have to watch the movie to see the rest. Today, we're going to talk about Elijah the prophet, and he's one of the greatest prophets in Scripture, and he is tied together with Moses and even with Jesus and John the Baptist. He appears at the Transfiguration, and he is highly regarded, but in today's passage, he's having a not-so-great moment. In chapter 18, just one chapter prior to our reading, Elijah had stood up to 450 priests of Baal. Baal is the storm god and is the name given to lots of other pagan gods, but there was one particular one that had been brought to Israel, so they thought. And Elijah stands up to them, much like Captain America, except in Elijah's version, God showed up and made it clear that there's one God. Elijah was in a good place, a powerful place, things seemed to be going well, but then in chapter 19, suddenly he's on the run running for his life. He had stood up to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Ahab was a kind of a weak king. Always, basically, everything was done through Jezebel. She had had enough of Elijah saying all that he was saying, doing what he was doing, killing prophets of Baal, and so she threatens him. And that's where we come to our passage today. And so let us hear from these 18 verses. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. May the gods do whatever they want to me if, by this time tomorrow, I haven't made your life like the life of one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. 
He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert, a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He laid down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flatbread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said, eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went to a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, then quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel and anoint Elisha from Abel-Meholah, Shaphat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000, all those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths haven't kissed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You got to be ready for the prophets. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. And Mark... I threw in those last few verses from the, instead of the lectionary with all those names, and he just nailed it. So that's not easy. Not easy. In the face of overwhelming commit, committed political power and physical threat from Queen Jezebel, Elijah, the great prophet, runs for his life. 
strangely, after running for his life, he then asked God to take his life. Why not just start there and save yourself the running, right? Like Jonah, another prophet, Elijah seeks shelter under a lone bush and begs to no longer be living because of the moment he's facing. Whereas Jonah thought he was too good to bring the lowly Nineveh people hope, Elijah finds himself not feeling good enough, not as good as the prophets. He's failed. He's exhausted. He's completely in despair, and he feels hopeless. So he says, just take me, Lord. God's response, have something to eat. Kind of like that Snickers commercial, you know? That's what it reminded me of. Like Moses, Elijah began the journey to get away from something, from somewhere, from someone. But through sustenance and presence, he decides to stop running and instead head somewhere. Like Moses, who spent 40 days on Mount Horeb, Elijah spends 40 days going to Mount Horeb. Like Moses, who went into a cave or a cleft to witness the passing presence of the Lord, Elijah spends the night in the cave and then witnesses the presence of the Lord. They are tied together in multiple ways, and we shouldn't miss that. But let's pay attention to verse 10. And I got to lift up, I wondered for a moment, Mark, if you wondered if you were misreading because you were reading the exact same lines twice and it just dawned on you, oh my gosh, did I lose my place? Because verse 10 and verse 14 are identical. Elijah's response when God says, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah says, well, I've been very passionate for the Lord of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, right? And he finally says, I'm the only one left. I doubt he said that very stoically. Elijah is a man of passion, fire, literally, and zeal. And God tells him to stand at the mountain to prepare for his presence, more or less. And then a great wind, wreaking great havoc, tore through the mountain. But God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake. But God wasn't. And then fire, but God wasn't. God wasn't in these things. And I wonder if Elijah didn't know God wasn't in those things in the moment. I mean, that's how God's always come across in the stories. Elijah probably saw these things and thought, here it is, here it comes. A man of passion and fire and zeal, I'd imagine he'd expect God to be very passionate, fiery, and zealous. We often envision God like us, don't we? Don't we imagine God responds to things as we respond to things, if we're honest? And there's that fun question, what does God disagree with you about? And if you think, not much, well, God's probably a lot like you imagine yourself to be in the other way around. The significance of these three elements occurring and then specifically mentioning that God wasn't in them is very important. Elijah had expectation of God, don't we all? But God doesn't work the way we expect. God hadn't up to that point. God had sustained Elijah through Arabs. Sometimes you hear it, ravens. A widow that was a Gentile. And then here, God's in the sheer silence. God isn't always in the silence. The Hebrew scriptures are clear about that. But in this moment, that's where God is. If you've ever been on a mountaintop, and you've seen the view, 
You know not only of the great view, but you know of the silence that is up there. It's quite an experience to sit on a mountaintop. Has anyone sat on a mountaintop? It's no fun getting there. There's nothing up there except the view, looking around on all sides if you're at the very top. You gain perspective when you're up that high. Maybe you've experienced something similar in an airplane, looking down on the world and seeing just how big it really is. And this moment of sheer silence and this humbling awe. And then when it gets quiet, he ventures out of the cave and looks at the view before him. Then God says for the second time, why are you here, Elijah? Where did God expect Elijah to be? Or was that not the point of the question? Maybe Elijah didn't realize why he was really there. He was instructed to go, and when asked the first time he gave that answer that you heard Mark read twice, he sees all of this, God asks him again, and Elijah gives the same answer again. It's like he's missing the point. But then God takes him by the hand, more or less, and gives him instruction in those final few verses. And the instruction is about the future. It's about what's going to happen. Go and anoint these three people, for they're going to bring about what it is you seek. God points out that Elijah is not the only one left. How many people were there, too, not bowing down? 7,000. Elijah was so caught up in his own madness, of his own mind, his own expectation, did he not notice 7,000 people not bowing down? thinking he's the only one left. He's so caught up in the madness of his mind that he's looking for God to do the spectacular as he'd seen God do before, and God's saying, it's not how I'm working this time. It's often not how God works. Amen? Yes, the day is bleak for Elijah. Rulers are oppressing people. Systems are lording their ways over others and forcing them to bow down. People's autonomy is being dismissed, ignored, and threatened. And people are seeing their culture being stamped out with a sword. But yet God is at work. The three people Elijah is to anoint are to be the vessels of God's work. Elijah's madness is brought to stillness under that desert bush when he comes there seeking to die, running from something. And it's only then through the messenger, the angel, that he starts heading somewhere. Elijah's madness is brought to stillness in that cave when he is in total despair, seeking desperately for God to act. And Elijah's madness is brought to stillness when he's given the instructions of hope for the day ahead. I don't know what Elijah thought about when he anointed Hazael or Elisha but my hope is that he had some peace, even knowing he might not see the fruit of his work, just like Moses. Our world is full of madness today. Can I get an amen? Oh, political powers are struggling and working to make everyone do what one or two people think everyone should do. We can relate to Elijah, can't we? There is great despair all around us. Are we looking for God to act in the way that we want, the way that we expect? Are we seeking only actions that match our own passion and fire and zeal? Are we collapsed under a pathetic amount of shelter in a broom bush, 
in a desert of sorts. Are we ready to give up? Have you said something along the lines of, oh, there's just no hope? The way things are headed, there's just no hope. Are we so caught up on what's right in front of us? And the madness of it, only in our own frame of view that we're missing the bigger picture. Do we need some perspective? We need to find a mountaintop. There's one not too far from here. Friends, God is at work. God's never ceased to be at work. God never will cease to be at work. Amen. Maybe we won't see the fruit of the work today, and maybe it's fruit for generations to come, but God is working in and through us, the church, through the empowerment by the Holy Spirit as we seek after our Savior. We may just need to stop and quiet the madness. Stop running away. Pay attention. There are people all around us who are committed to the goodness of humanity. There are people all around us giving of themselves for the most vulnerable. There are people around us pouring themselves out for the oppressed. Some of them are in this room. There are people fighting for the autonomy and freedom for others in every way that you might use those words. They are there, yes? We just need to look. Or maybe we just need to eat something. Or maybe we just need to climb a mountain, take a breath, consider the silence. Lift your eyes, friends. Lift your eyes from what is right in front of you to what God is doing, to what God has done. Look to your left and right and don't be like Elijah. Notice the people around you. Consider trying to do your own work in your own life without getting snared by social media or partisan news or even something that's tripped us up in our minds or our bodies for the moment. Stop the madness and instead consult the silence, the stillness. Gain perspective. Pray to God. Trust in God. And then live for God and all that you've been called to do so that others around may come to see the very hope in and through you because they need us. They may not know of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They may not know of Scripture and the church, or maybe what they do know hasn't been a good image. So let's go. Let's be something better. Have faith that God is working and has called you to continue to be at work today, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter how old you are, young you are, no matter how much you know about the Bible, you all are called. Remember that, so that when we walk the path of many before us, many like Elijah and Moses, when they had their moments of despair, we could know it's gonna be okay. Remember that God is the ruler of the universe. Amen? Let's say that together. God is the ruler of the universe. And then submit to the Lord to be the ruler of your heart. The ruler of your mind. 
the ruler of your soul and of all your efforts. And then with your sisters and brothers in Christ, assemble. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 